This theme is repeated throughout the scriptures. In fact, it's repeated 33 times in the scriptures. And whenever we see repetition like this, really anywhere, but especially in God's word, we should give our attention. If we were to modernize that, we might say, if I'm texting you, that would be in all caps. This is something very important. I want us to consider what does be strong mean? Is that just a positive mental attitude that I'm just going to grin and bear it? I want us to be thinking about that as we look at our text this morning. Well, let's read from Haggai chapter 2, and I'm going to read the first nine verses this morning. Please give your attention to God's holy word. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing? In your eyes? Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. According to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt, My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once, yet once more in a little while, I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations, so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Amen. May God add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we commit this time to you and we pray in dependence upon your Holy Spirit that you would come in power, that you would fill us with your spirit more and more, that you would open our eyes to see wondrous things today from your law. And Father, I'm dependent upon you. And so I pray now for your strength and for your power that I would speak the very words of Christ this morning and that your people would be edified and that the Lord Jesus Christ would be glorified. In his name we pray. Amen. Well, the word of the Lord comes by his prophet Haggai, and the scripture records for us very specific detail. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, and we know this, and knowing the Jewish calendar, this is October 21st, 520 B.C. 
Well, why is this significant? Well, Haggai is bringing the word of the Lord on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles. If you're not familiar with this feast, it's the latest on the Jewish calendar in the fall. And in fact, it marked harvest for the people of God. So they were to remember all that God had done for them. He is their source. He is their provision. And as the name implies, this Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booze, the Israelites would form a makeshift tent and sleep for seven days in this tent. Some of you, that maybe that resonates with you. You grew up in your family, you're camping. For me, roughing it was slow room service. I did not want to camp. But yet this is what the Lord has commanded for his people. And it's even more significant because on this very day, over 437 years before, this was given at the the dedication of the Temple of Solomon. On this very day, they were celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, in chapter 1, God comes by his prophet to condemn the people. He had called them out of bondage in order to rebuild his house. Cyrus, this ungodly king, and if you look back in verse 1 of chapter 1, his successor is Darius. And God placed upon him this calling, go and build my temple. And the people dropped the ball. They got started as we normally often do. They started well, but they were halted. And so the word of the Lord comes to them from the prophet, rebukes them. They respond in obedience. And now this second word. And here they are living in these tents as the house of God is in shambles. And so this would not have missed them. They would have understood the significance and the importance of the dwelling place of God. And this is where the message comes. And he begins, the Lord begins with a question. Look at this in verse 3. Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? I love it when the Lord asks questions. He is eliciting a response. This is rhetorical, but the Lord is using a question to stir up in their hearts and minds. This is the million dollar question. Does it not seem as nothing to you? There would have been those in their midst, older individuals that would have remembered the former glory of the temple. This Seventh wonder of the world, where you had kings and queens of all the earth coming to see this incredible structure. It was over 40, excuse me, four stories high, six football fields in length. And here it now lays in ruins. And the Lord puts his finger on it. How do you see it now? Because remember, his command to his people is to rebuild my temple. And there, and maybe, maybe this is why they didn't complete the job. Maybe that's why they stopped. I don't know. But it's lying in ruins and they're thinking to themselves, Lord, it's too much. It's too big. And yet the Lord comes with this message. And I want us to consider the message in two parts this morning. This theme that we're going to explore. 
Be strong in the Lord. Number one, because of his presence. And number two, be strong in the Lord because of his promise. So let's look at number one. Be strong in the Lord because of his presence. Notice in verse four, the sentence begins, yet now. God is calling to their attention, yet in spite of this enormous task that you guys are balking at, despite this, I want you to look beyond that. I want you to see the invisible. I want you to see the reality. Oh, you and I are real, but there's a greater reality, which is the kingdom of God that you and I can't necessarily see. He's wanting them to push through and to see the greater glory of this spiritual kingdom. And then notice this adverb, now. So often we live either in the past or we live in the future. And he's calling them, yet now, be strong. I've I've given you work to do. I love the quote by Eleanor Roosevelt. She writes, tomorrow is a mystery. Today is a gift. And that's why we call it the present. Are you living in the present? Are you focused on what God has called you to do? Or are you prone to live in the past? Or maybe you're waiting for something better. No, God is calling you now to do his work. Be strong. I love it here in verse 4 how the Lord addresses each group. Did you notice that? In fact, I mentioned to you as we began, there are 33 occurrences of be strong in the scriptures. We have 10% right here. And he repeats himself, be strong, O Zerubbabel. Be strong, O Joshua. Be strong, noticed, all you people. This is significant. We have leadership. We have the people. And so often when it's a collective and you've got this group coming together, things don't always work out well. There's an illustration of this in a history book that I love called The Light and the Glory by Peter Marshall and David Manuel. And they write about the Puritans as they're coming to the New World and they're settling in Plymouth Bay Colony or Massachusetts Bay Colony. And those first several winters, they literally starved. And if it had not been for the gracious work and friendship of the Native Americans, they would have starved. Why? Why why were they starving? Well, they reported that as a collective, no one was taking the responsibility for themselves to go out and make sure they had adequate provision over the wintertime. But as soon as the colonies started designating plots of land and would give them to individuals or would give them to families, all of a sudden commerce began and they took ownership and they took responsibility. And we see that here in the scriptures. Nehemiah chapter 3, God makes this personal. He assigns tasks to individuals, to families. Think about the wall and their construction. Again, the perfection of God in his giving instruction to his people. This is how you are to do it. Be strong. And then look in the latter portion of verse 4. And this is part of his message to his people. 
Be strong and work. This, I think, has to be one of the most difficult things for us as Christians, especially in our Western culture. Either we, again, two extremes, we want to lay on the couch and just wait for the Lord to bring it to us. Okay, Lord, I'm just going to be strong, but I'm just going to wait right here. No, be strong and work. Or the other extreme is we're going to take this on ourselves, right? Here in the West, pull myself up by my bootstraps. I got this. And we tend to neglect or to, to not think about the Lord. I had a very difficult project years ago. I've been in technology for about 30 years. And God called me to work for a company. The man who hired me and really was the expertise in this area was fired four months after I got hired. And I'm, I'm saying to myself, there is no way, there is no way that I can do this. And yet I'm having to speak truth in my heart. Be strong and work. God enabled me to do things that I thought were impossible. And that's his command to his people. Listen to this from Philippians chapter 2. These are Paul's words in verses 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Listen to this. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. How is this possible? But this is both and. We are to be strong and we are to work. Notice in verse 5, he continues, fear not. That's the problem when God calls us to work. I'd rather just let him do it. No, he's called me to cooperate with him. How is that that we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, but yet the scripture says it is he who works? Which is it? Yes. Yes. It's both and. But as I'm working, because I'm focused on the task, I take my eyes off of Jesus and I begin to worry. And that's really at the core of what be strong means. It means to walk by faith and not by sight. I'm looking at the temple. It's in ruins. This is impossible, God. And yet he calls them to be strong and work. Fear not. Well, we ask this question, how? How is this possible? Which leads us to point number one. Notice in verse four, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. He who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Do you believe that? I was thinking about as we were reading Genesis today, chapter 45. What was, what was Joseph going through in his mind when he was sitting literally in a hole in the ground, in a dried up well, as he was falsely accused once he was in Potiphar's house and was cast into prison. And yet the Lord is telling him, be strong, work. That's walking by faith and not by sight. How can we do this? How is this possible? Only by God's presence in our lives. 
If we skip back up to verses 13 and 14 of the previous chapter, Haggai records that the Lord stirred up the people. It was his spirit that was active among them, enabling them to do this work. And so by faith, we claim hold of these promises. God, I don't understand. This looks impossible. But he who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And then it's almost like the Lord doubles down in verse 5. Notice what he says. My spirit remains in your midst. He had never once left them. He's reminding them, I've always been here. But are you seeing? Are you seeing with eyes of faith? Be strong and work because of his presence. For I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. My spirit remains in your midst. Let's look at number two. Be strong and work because of his promise. I love this, how Haggai describes the people. By the word of the Lord, verse three, be strong all you people of the land, declares the Lord. What would they have been hearing when they heard these words? The people of the land. Well, this would have reminded them of the Abrahamic covenant. And essential to that covenant was this promised land. And here they are. They're in the land. And so God's reminding them of his covenant faithfulness. And he makes it explicit in verse 5. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. The one covenant of grace given to Abraham, Genesis 17, repeated now in the administration of the Mosaic covenant, which he is alluding to, and he is telling them, I am faithful to you. My words never fail. You are in the land. And he's calling to their mind the promises that he had made to their great, 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 great grandfather. I am with you. His promise of his covenant love that is ever, ever lasting. It never fails. I want us to understand too that God's presence is based on his promise. Listen to this. This was given to the people in Leviticus chapter 26, verses 11 and 12. And this is essential. This is central to the covenant. Moses writes, I will make my dwelling among you and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. We have a sin problem. And in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant or economy, the people of God understood that really, really well. Sights and smells and bells, right? And that's kind of how we describe the Roman Catholic Church. But they would have seen the requirement for their sin as they had to bring an animal to the high priest. And as he placed his hand on that animal and slit that animal's throat, they understood what it meant to be in the presence of a holy God. And yet here God tells them, my soul shall not abhor you. 
Don't we often think in the old economy that you would have God kind of over on the side? He's in the temple. He's seated on the most holy place, right? His Shekinah glory on the mercy seat. But that's not what he says here. He says, I will walk among you. There's this intimacy, this fellowship that Christ has with his people. The angel of the Lord, you remember this, as the angel of the Lord led his people, this is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the promise. He is the fulfillment of the land grant, of that land that was promised to Abraham. Do do, do we really think that this land over in Palestine is special? Is Is that what the Lord is talking about? No. No, he's talking about an eternal inheritance. The promised land being fulfilled in his son. Be strong and work. For I am with you. I have promised always to be with you. I want you to think about this with me. That the Lord Jesus Christ, who was separated from his own father on the cross. I want you to think about that. Not ontologically. There was no separation of God the Trinity. We want to make sure that we're careful here. But economically, in his role as mediator, and maybe we could frame it this way, the relationship was intact, but their fellowship was broken. Why? Because Christ, as the sin bearer, the scripture says he became sin, his father could not look upon him. How is that relevant to you and I? Christ bore your sins so that you would never be separated from God. Christ, who was separated, we don't know how long, as he bore our sins, you and I will never experience that separation. That's his promise to you. Jesus said, I will be with you. I will never leave you or forsake you. Well, we have a future promise. It's quite glorious. Verses 6 through 9. The Lord who will shake the heavens, not just the heavens and the earth, but the sea and the dry land. Almost hyperbolic. What is, what is Haggai alluding to here? Verse 7. He shall shake all nations so that the treasure of all nations shall come in. And he concludes with, that he will fill this house with glory. Okay, what, what is in their mind? They're thinking politically, socially. They're not thinking spiritually. And that was so often the, the disciples' problem, is they're missing Jesus. He's thinking spiritually, they're thinking materially, politically, socially. And then he promises, and this glory, listen to this, and this glory will be greater than the former. I'm sure people, some people in that community maybe did a double take. Really, it's going to be greater. All the gold and silver that were, were, was brought into the temple, paneled with acacia wood, it's going to be greater. Well, we know from history that this greater temple was not the one they rebuilt. What is this promise that he's referring to? Well, Calvin here writes of this law-gospel distinction. In fact, God did shake the earth when he gave the law 
to his people on Mount Sinai. But yet here, this event will shake all of creation. It will change everything. And here, Haggai the prophet is speaking of the incarnation of God. The most significant event in world history. What did Jesus say? If you lift me up, I will draw all men to me. All the silver is his. All the gold is his. What does that mean? Well, in our culture, people are dying over gold. Right? He who has the gold makes the rule. But think about in the new heavens and the new earth, where will the gold be? We'll be under our feet. We, we will be walking on this precious metal because in relation to Jesus, it's nothing. It's like the dirt underneath our feet. All the gold is his. All the silver is his. I want you to hear these words from Jesus himself in the Gospel of John. Verses 1. This is the prologue, and then I'm going to read verses 17 and 18. And the word became flesh and dwelt. That Greek word is tabernacled. I want you to think about that, right? Don't miss that. He tabernacled, tabernacled among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness... We have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the promise of God himself who would always be in our midst. And he came, the second person of the Godhead, and dwelt bodily on the earth to atone for your sin, for my sin. How is this not exponentially greater than some structure in the Middle East? The very person of God. I'm reminded of the words of Jesus where he said that the the blood, the covenant is ratified in his blood. In fact, he says that I won't drink of this cup anew or he would drink it anew with you as we come into his kingdom. And he talks about this new covenant being ratified in his blood. Well, I want you to look at this final promise in verse 9. Listen to this. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Because Jesus and his death on the cross, we literally pass through, the writer of Hebrews says, we pass through his flesh to enter into the presence of God. And it's because of Christ and his sacrifice that he has made peace with God. And if you're in Christ this morning, You have been reconciled to Him. That's His promise to you. That you have peace with the Father. Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So be strong and work. Because He is present. And He has promised His presence to be with you. And to give you peace. Let's pray. Father, we glory in Your great salvation. 
And that the temple of the Lord Jesus Christ, who came down from heaven and who gave himself for us, that we might have peace with you. We might be reconciled to you. Oh, Father, help us to bask in your glory and in your great love to us as sinners. And in fact, even when we were sinners, we were shaking our fist in your face. You died for us. Oh God, we can't imagine and understand this kind of love, but it is transformative. And we pray that we would take this message today of being strong and working, that we might glorify you here on the earth and see your kingdom come. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.